Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Edward Bergen, global food and drink analyst, all-round foodie, and I am a hummus fanatic. So today, we're going to be talking about probably the world's biggest food trend, I guess, at the moment, at least the media seems to be talking about it all the time. Um, we're going to be talking about veganism uh, and plant-based and and this whole trend. Um, as I said, I'm a food and drink analyst, uh, and I'm going to hopefully bring some of that food, um, some of those food examples, why this is becoming so big. But why this podcast is so special is that with me, we've got Sarah, and Sam, and they're going to bring different perspectives on this vegan trend. So Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself first? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sarah Jindal. I am a global beauty analyst with Mintel. Um, I'm based in New York. And so I'm really excited about this topic because it's definitely something that we've been talking about within the beauty space for the last few years and have just watched it explode um, for, for a variety of different reasons. So I'm lo really looking forward to digging into this a little bit deeper. Okay, awesome. And Sam? So my name is Sam Dover. I'm a senior retail analyst here at Mintel in the UK, and I cover a whole range of different sectors. But today I'm here to kind of bring my opinion on veganism in the fashion industry. Okay, so I think my big headline, and we, when we were discussing this before we got onto this call, um, actually, I don't think this trend is about the vegans at all. Um, I think this is fantastic for the vegans um, who are just seeing their food and drink industry just change and develop so quickly compared to maybe what it was like um, 10 years ago where you were given a few meat substitutes and you weren't really sure what were in those meat substitutes to now where it's just a wonderful celebration of vegetables and plant proteins and you can see how excited I get guys. <laughs> I mean it's the same in beauty because if you go back a handful of years there were maybe a dozen brands that were kind of certified vegan or claimed to be vegan that really was all that, you know, people that were living that vegan lifestyle had, had the opportunity to choose from. So it was super limited. And then you think about, um, I'm going to put my kind of sciencey nerd hat on, but, <laughs> but from an ingredient perspective, because that's my background, is really we've seen this massive evolution of the ingredients that are available to actually formulate the products, and that has totally changed the game. So now not only do you have this great you know, selection of vegan brands to choose from, they're actually making really good products. So it's not just some, you know, something someone's mixing up in, in their you know, their bathroom or their, their basement or something like it used to be. You've now got big, massive multinational manufacturers, mainstream brands moving towards this whole idea of creating something that is, is suitable for that vegan consumer. Yeah, we've just we've just had like muck vegan um, in McDonald's. We we know that there's the um, I think the Whopper burger. These are big fast food joints, and it's not necessarily the health and wellness space. It's just mm -hmm. yeah, these big corporations that are picking up on this trend. Um, fashion, something I, I guess other than fur um, and, and maybe some leather. What I, I, that's my lack of knowledge of the fashion industry. Basically, I'm wearing t-shirt and jeans, guys. So that's my fashion knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, there's definitely that perception, but I think slowly but surely that is changing. So what we're seeing is, like you guys are saying, just more and more companies are kind of thinking about what the rise in veganism means for their brand. But on top of that, 
the kind of the new interest that we're seeing in vegan fashion kind of goes hand in hand generally with sustainability so there's this perception that buying into vegan fashion is more sustainable because obviously like I say like you say leather for all of those kind of fabrics are hot topics but now you're seeing it move into everything from people questioning the kind of ethics behind silk behind wool behind feathers and even some products are made with animal glue as well so actually it's a really kind of it's a really complex issue Um, and we're seeing that kind of begin to evolve you know you've got lots and lots of brands moving away from all of these animal-based fabrics but then as I say, it's in theory, it also goes hand in hand with rising interest in sustainability. And actually, it's quite complex because vegan fabrics are not always more sustainable. And I think that's what's what's particularly interesting. You just gave me an idea. And this is a question actually for both of you. Compared to in food and drink, well, when we think about ingredients, and we've just actually had Natasha's Law, for example, launched in the UK, which was unfortunately someone who ate a pret a manger sandwich, um, had a very bad reaction and, and lost her life because n- not cl- no clarity around ingredients. Food and drink is getting clearer and clearer about those ingredients. In your industries, is it the same? Is the same legislation? I can imagine in beauty, maybe even more so than fashion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there, there's a couple of different things that are happening. I mean, one is, a few years ago, we started to see this kind of proliferation of bad press against certain certain ingredients or certain classes of ingredients. So you're probably used to seeing in advertising now and in the media, sulfate-free and paraben-free and all of these different things. Um, I mean, I blame a lot of that on um, social media and, and blogs, to be frank, because you know, one person reads a news article and it gets copied and pasted a bazillion times. And then all of a sudden brands are starting to get pressure from consumers to say, we don't want this and we don't want that. So it's been really interesting over the last few years to see this real shift in who's actually driving and dictating what goes into product development. So it used to be the brand came up with an idea, they launched a product. Now consumers are saying, well, we want this, we don't want that. Um, So that's been a really interesting thing to watch, especially from an ingredient perspective. And that's sort of, I think, a lot of what's driven the shift towards vegan claims within beauty and personal care, because it just seems like that natural evolution. And for a lot of consumers, I think, right or wrong, you know, this this vegan claim has become this sort of catch-all, and it's sort of given them this idea that everything is safe. But to kind of go back to what you were saying regarding sort of legislation and regulation, there is none. And so that the biggest, yeah, there, there is none. So the, so the vegan claim is not regulated by the FDA. So, you know, you've got these different, um, like Leaping Bunny certification. I'm sure you've seen that one. That's probably the most common and the most recognizable. But there's a lot of these individual certifications that brands are getting, but there is no regulation. There is no legislation. So that creates a minefield, honestly, from my perspective, because how do you know who's doing the right thing and who you can trust? That's really interesting. And, and, in, and I can imagine, so, so wait, that's in beauty, you're saying, there's, the regulation is, there isn't yes. official. So then in, in fashion, is it even less so than that? What's... Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to kind of legislate these things in the fashion industry. And I think, as I was saying, it's, you know, it's definitely a case of 
there's a definitely an interest in it there. People are becoming more and more aware. And I think with, within the fashion industry, I think the complicated thing is about your supply chain. So you're seeing a lot more demand, a lot more pressure from consumers for um, big brands and big retailers to be a lot more kind of transparent with their supply chains. And that kind of continues to kind of grow. And we're seeing more and more retailers moving along with that. But actually, in terms of, like you say, legislating vegan claims, I think that's very difficult to police. And as I was saying, you know, there is this idea similarly to what um, you know what you just said in beauty it's you know there's this idea that if you're buying a vegan fabric that it's sustainable but that's not always the case you know some of these materials have been produced in a way that's really detrimental to the environment and it actually is quite damaging to the habitats of the very animals that veganism is in theory trying to protect you know you've got high water usage you've got the plastics these fabrics aren't um, aren't biodegradable in the same way that natural fabrics are so it's really really a complicated issue it's really interesting. Um, I, can I throw a food question back to you? Ed? Yeah. Um, just not necessarily a question, but I, I, just to play devil's advocate or kind of make a blanket statement and then see what you think. To me, you know, there's this perception that vegan equals healthy, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case with food. It's absolutely um, a a big issue, actually, in the vegan, when we're looking at vegan food. So, um there is a when we ask consumers their reasoning um health is actually one of the the, the main ones so just to, just to start at the beginning it's, we've actually got numbers for example in the uk we've got one in three consumers saying that they they are actively reducing their meat consumption and when we've looked at other countries as well similar sort of trends compared to like the one or two percent of people that are actually vegan so that that is obviously a level that, 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 that it's healthier not to eat red meat now the big challenge is um if you're a vegan or if you're trying to eat more vegan food are you going and buying a meat substitute um, or are you just having you know lots of wonderful vegetables cooked in you know lovely and wonderful ways um, and I think that's where this issue has come we're now getting a, a, a huge number of launches from these um, from meat substitutes and we've, we've got using different ingredients like we've, we know soya already is there but different proteins pea proteins we're seeing ingredients like seitan like tempeh like tofu um, sometimes from uh, mushrooms or fungi um, and all different ingredients being used to try and replicate that meat experience so that you can drag those meat eaters into this category but what normally happens is that those meat substitutes have to be pumped with various flavoring salt sugars and all sorts of things to make them taste good and also to make the texture work and now the industry is caught on a little bit and they're starting to be challenged um and also, we know that the fast food joints have joined up too, and they've joined the vegan trend um, with their own versions. And let's not—they're not going to pretend this is about health. They're going to pretend this is about other things. I think what what um, is going to happen more are vegan brands or plant-based brands going to be a bit more clear that this is this is healthier because we only use vegetables and we don't use anything else. We don't add anything else. Or they're going to be honest and say this isn't about health and wellness. This is might be about sustainability or welfare. Um, or just let's celebrate vegetables and enjoy them. Um, it's a big problem because I think at the moment the, the, the online community definitely believes um, that there is a very much a healthy um, halo around the vegan claim. Um, it, is it not the same in beauty? Like, uh, there's well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, obviously we're talking about products that you're not actually ingesting. So that's kind of one thing. But Putting it on your face, though. Yes, you have. Yes. Okay, so if it's lipstick, sure, you're ingesting that. Um, yeah. 
But no, I mean, I, I certainly would not say that vegan or plant-based, you know, or, or 100% natural when it comes to beauty products is necessarily the best way to go. Yeah. Um, a variety of different reasons. First and foremost being, you know, some of the things that Sam touched on, um, sustainability, biodiversity, you know, how are these things grown? Where are they harvested? How are they processed? You know, you've got all of these other questions that go into it as well. You're talking about an ingredient that potentially starts as a plant, but then it's processed chemically in some way to make it something else. Mm. So does that still fit in with this idea of vegan or plant-based? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So, you know, a large portion of what we see happening, I really do think is an opportunity from the brand's perspective to just cater to the desires of the, of a growing base of consumers that are demanding. Because again, I, you know, I kind of made this point before a lot of consumers see this, this vegan claim as a catch-all for a lot of other different things like cruelty-free and natural and plant-derived. You know, a lot of consumers see vegan and they think, okay, that's kind of an umbrella that encompasses all of these other things. So that's definitely, Mm. you know, thing that I want. And so I think it's, it's kind of bigger than, than just like with food, I think it's a little bit more straightforward. People that don't want to eat meat or animal byproducts, you know, plain and simple, here's your food options. But with beauty, it's a little bit more sort of wishy-washy and convoluted to be perfectly frank. Um, well, interesting with food because I think at the moment there's obviously a commercial opportunity here and and still while we're talking about animal welfare and the environment and sustainability and all, and all of these really big important trends that we're seeing in the media when it comes down to it and when you're a consumer there are two attributes that are actually most important and will always be most important in food and drink and that is taste and value um, so if they want to buy a vegan product it's got to be more affordable and therefore these brands can't make it too expensive or people won't buy them and they've got to taste nice and consumers like the fact that they can now buy vegan food that really does taste nice and and they probably overlook some of those other questions around health and and uh, wellness and and better for you um, or even welfare um they, they, the most important thing is that things taste good um and it's just bringing us back down to earth a little bit um i think there's going to be more in the future so getting into the future or getting into some of the things that are happening i'm going to move this conversation a little bit um so i'm going to start with you could you give us a i just for people listening i really want them to hear are there any great inspiring examples you've heard about this vegan plant-based trend in fashion that you just want to tell people about yeah i think there's a few things happening i think what we've seen is for quite a while we've seen basically a lot of brands i don't want to say jumping on the bandwagon but you know they're kind of they've embraced it because i think actually as you say it's quite a commercial opportunity for them so you know you've got lots of different brands and retailers are stopping using fur they're stopping using exotic skins um you know you've got a lot happening there you've got lots of retailers expanding the range of vegan products that they offer so even the likes of kind of h&m and m&s are constantly kind of expanding their um, range of vegan fashion products but I think actually for me the most interesting kind of examples of what we've seen are the ones where actually we're seeing a lot more about surrounding education and actually educating consumers about um, about what they're buying into and I think that's really interesting so you know we've recently um, seen a vegan fashion museum open in LA which kind of you know gives talks about um, the issues with um, animal based 
best uh, products in the fashion industry. And then it kind of... aims to highlight and showcase alternatives to animal skin. So you're seeing, you know, lots of innovative fabrics coming through. So you're seeing leather made from everything from cork to apples and mangoes, right through to, you know, like banana um, silk. Um, and so what we're seeing is, you know, more education around those. There's even in recently been a, um, a vegan style book launched as well, which talks about kind of how consumers can be vegan, how they can buy into fashion. And I think that's really interesting because actually what our research does show is that, you know, a lot of people are really overwhelmed when it comes to trying to buy um ethical fashion and actually consumers don't know which retailers and which brands are actually ethical so i think as i say a lot of education around it is definitely going to help uh and sarah have you got uh, inspired i love that story before i even go I carry on i think um i think I got, I, there's so many questions that are raised around um uh, that idea of are there more i wonder if there are more consumers who would be willing to buy a fashion item because maybe you haven't got that taste issue that you've got in food um then then are actually willing to take up a full vegan diet and i wonder what the percentage of because because i guess if the quality of the product is the same and it's not as easy to tell then it's it's actually easier for um consumers to move across and therefore is it more on, on the manufacturers that they just need to replace the items to make the world more sustainable it's more on them than on the consumer yeah, I mean, it's like I say, it's just it's so complicated. And I think what, like I say, I think the, why, the reason why I kind of highlighted those two points is it's really about giving consumers the choice and it's kind of informing them enough so that they feel like they can make those choices. And I think, like I say, I think the most interesting examples for me in, in everything in sustainability, sustainability related at the minute is, you know, how companies can really you know, empower their own customers to make the, to make choices that they feel are informed, you know. So, you know, a really interesting example is the Iconic in Australia has a filter to help people buy fashion depending on the causes that they care about most. That will include animal welfare, but it will also include things like, you know, workers' rights. It includes um, commu- re- brands that give community support, things like that. And I think that's actually what's really interesting is just how you kind of empower consumers to make those changes. Uh, it's, it's amazing what's going on and in, and in beauty are we seeing again these sort of big stories um coming out of this anything inspiring yeah i mean and and sam hit it right on the head with regard to you know the education piece and helping the consumer kind of wade through all the noise to figure out what those right choices are for them um so i mean i can give you Kind of, I'll give you two examples, one, you know, each on either end of the spectrum, you know, doing it right and maybe not doing the best thing, not to shout anybody out. But I think it's, it it gives you some interesting things to think about as you sort of, as a brand kind of are deciding if this is a way that you want to go, um, you know, and what we have seen, there is there has been a lot of kind of bandwagonism. I don't think that's really a word. I just made, made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just in in realizing that you know this is this is the, the direction that people are moving in, so we better get on board. You know, or we'll be left behind. There's kind of that thought process that's happening. So, you know, a few. I, I, guess, I think that's happening in every. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think even to the point where I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk long. They thought that even the meat companies now um, are buying out or <laughs> innovating in in plant based and, and meat substitutes, and which is you know, what a move for them um, to do. You know things like that. We've got um, um, 
you know, they're a Titan Foods in the in the US, so a big uh, meat manufacturer. They've just they've had investment in like Memphis Foods, which is making mm. like lab grown meat. Um, or, and we, they've they've previously had investment in um, uh, in Beyond me as well and so just that movement of investment just so interesting sorry carry on but I thought yeah no I mean and that's the great point because we we're seeing very similar activity with acquisitions within the beauty and personal care categories as well so you've got all these great kind of indie brands and startups that have been vegan from the very beginning and the multinationals are realizing if we want to capture that portion of the market, we can either do it ourselves or we can buy someone else that's already doing it, that's doing it right, that's got this great, you know, fan base, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, on the topic of those big multi-brand companies, we've seen a lot of them in the last, you know, six or eight months move towards being vegan and announce that they're going vegan. And they've, they've received a ton of backlash as a result mm. because... They are creating vegan product, but then they're also selling into the China market. And that's a whole other topic. Um, but really quickly, for anyone that doesn't know, any beauty products that are sold into the China market can be subjected to animal testing. So they will actually pull product off the shelf in China and test it on animals. So whether the brand knows that that's happening or not there is a possibility that that's happening. So consumers are now becoming educated about all of these different issues. And so oh. this is something that comes up a lot with these bigger brands that are selling in the China market, but they're marketing themselves as being vegan. So that's a kind of a, a whole other kind of sort of minefield that, that um, you know, you need to be mindful of navigating, figuring out the right way to do that. But I, I mean, it's it just bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and again, it's a, it's a much bigger topic and I certainly you know, want to take us down that road um, here, but I think it's something that's really important to mention. And that's why we've seen a lot of that sort of negativity um, towards some of those brands coming out and Hey, guess what? We're now vegan. And you know, you see that the, you see their posts on like Instagram, for example, and the comments underneath are just, they're getting bashed because of it. Uh, so I think it's not as straightforward as it may seem on the surface. I guess that's my, my point there. Um, but then on the complete flip side, you've got a brand and one of the recent ones I saw, um, was Milk Makeup, who went 100% vegan, and they've got this great page on their website that's all about educating the consumer. They talk about the difference between vegan and cruelty-free because they're not the same thing. They talk about the whole China market and China testing and everything. They talk about preservative systems because that's another area that comes up when we're talking vegan. So they've done a really nice job of giving the consumer all of that really great information and empowering them to feel as though they're making choices from an educated perspective. And they call milk makeup. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Is that it's misleading? Vegan. <laughs> well, it's the first thing I thought, but it sounds like an amazing story, but yeah, they're yeah, yeah. Makeup, well, so. it's think oat milk or soy milk. <laughs> okay. That makes me feel better. Um, okay. I've got a very small one and only because I went last week um, uh, to uh, Sainsbury's have just launched. They've got a love your veg range in the UK, which is just uh, one of the vegan ranges that they've launched with different sausages, kebabs, uh, ribs, all, all with meat substitutes, different meat substitutes. And, and um, they're all vegan. 
And what they've done is they launched a three-day pop-up shop in Bethnal Green in London, and it was a, a vegan butcher. And you could go and buy your kebabs and your sausages that were sold in like a fresh way, not in packaging. And they would wrap it all up nicely in, in brown paper and all this, uh, this like, a, a plant experience, um, and go home and put it on your barbecue. And um, it's just a really great way to show consumers that you can buy vegan and buy plant-based foods, have that experience, still get that fresh feeling when you're buying the product. And, um, you know, they're still great tasting because they had all various different flavors and seasonings and spices ready-made. And I think it's just really inspiring way to show that this is not just a frozen sad patty um, that you've got in, in the freezer in the back of the supermarket in a special part of the supermarket. It's now front and center. It's just as fresh. It's screaming excitement about the vegetable and plant-based ingredients um, in, in new and innovative ways. That's what I love about this trend because I think, I think from, the, from the UK, the only thing we've ever known about health and wellness is that fruit and vegetables are good for you. Um, I don't <laughs> think I know much else other than health and wellness. In terms of uh, everyone, that seems to be a consistent opinion among people that fruit and veg is good for you. And that's what a lot of these, some of these new launches, a lot of the new launches are doing is just shouting about the fruit and veg. Um, I've got one last question. And we'll start with Sam, um, and then we will we'll probably close. But one of the questions: What what's the future going to look like for vegan fashion or plant based fashion? So tricky question. Um, I think it's it's going to be it's really complex going forward because, like I say, I think there is this idea that if you're buying into veganism, then you are living a more sustainable lifestyle. I think what we're going to see is a harsher spotlight placed on vegan fashion. Is a, is a thing um, so one really interesting example is we, we've we seen a lot of particularly the high end fashion retailers saying that they will stop making products out of exotic skins and we've seen you know even Selfridges have banned the sale of exotic skins the counter argument to that is that um, because those brands need those fabrics they spend an awful lot of money helping on with conservation of certain um, and certain animals and then once that money is gone, they, you know, that conservation will be a lot more difficult. So that's just one, like I said, one more interesting example. Okay, of what's how an exotic skin? Is it like, as in exotic animals skin? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so the snake skins, things like that. Okay, well. Yes. Yeah, um, and so obviously if that conservation isn't there, it's, you know, is that detrimental to those species as a whole, you know, if that money isn't being fueled into that. So I think, as I say, I think what we're going to see going forward is a lot more kind of consideration and it's how you kind of, you know, align the vegan fashion trend and uh, the demand for vegan fashion, how you produce that and how you make that in a sustainable and environmentally friendly way. And I think that's what's going to come next is that you're going to see a big spotlight being placed on it. And I think arguably, I think a lot of brands have kind of jumped on the bandwagon, as I say, on the vegan fashion trend, because actually what we tend to see is that isn't necessarily I think what we tend to see is that it's an issue profits wise so actually a lot of them have kind of stopped selling using all of these exotics um animal skins because actually they don't make a huge profits on them so I think it you know it doesn't necessarily erode their profits if they stop selling them but actually like I say it's it's how you make sure that you're making the right decision as in the long term as a brand or a retailer you know making sure that as I say not only is a product vegan but actually it's more environmentally friendly in the long run um and as I say, you know, you've, if these fabrics aren't biodegradable as well, what's going to happen to them in 
20, 30, 40 years because they're still going to be around and our consumers actually still going to be wearing, you know, these vegan shoes that they've bought. Are they still going to be wearing them in 40 years' time? I'm going to argue probably not. So where are they? They're in a landfill. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be if, uh, if they they can uh, break down in a landfill rather than just being there forever. But we'll <laughs> and and in beauty, what do we think is going to come? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, there's a few different things. I mean, number one is is just what's the landscape going to look like from the regulatory perspective? Because we're starting to see so much, so many new claims popping up free from, you know, cruelty-free, vegan, environmentally friendly, all these different things kind of circulating now within the category. And there's no regulation around any of them. So we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, conversation going on in Europe and in the US with the FDA and all these different organizations trying to figure out, is this something that, we really need to start paying attention to so that we can put some some rules around it so that not just anyone can slap a label on a product. Um, so I anticipate that to change at some point in the not too distant future. And I think that also kind of feeds into the consumer desire for something that they can rely on, something that they can trust in. And, you know, that trust, I think, is another big part of the conversation that we're seeing really start to change and evolve from a consumer perspective. And that's, you know, tell me, really give me the information. You know, what are those ingredients? Where do they come from? How do you make them? Where are they sourced? What part of the world do they come from? You know, all of this kind of information now is what consumers are looking for. They want to know the story. It's not just about, oh, look at that color lipstick. That's beautiful. I'm going to buy that. They then want to know who made it, you know, what was her name, where was she from, you know, where did the ingredients come from? There's this, this whole kind of world that goes on behind the scenes that, that consumers want transparency on now. And I, we're starting to see that evolving and changing already with a lot of the brands. Um, and I, I, see, I expect to see that extend even deeper and further into the ingredients, especially as we're talking about, you know, vegan and plant-based and things like that, because there is this, this kind of other kind of peripheral conversation that's going on. And that is, is plant-based or plant-derived or naturally derived the best thing for me as a human being from a safety perspective, but also for the planet? So, you know, we're, we're starting to see that shift and, and, and biotechnology is something that we're really starting to see kind of come in and using, you know, yeast and bacteria to sort of create a lot of these really interesting, very safe and pure ingredients that are actually allergen free, which you can't necessarily find in nature. So again, much bigger conversation that's going on, but there's some really interesting things coming in the future. I think um, that topic of transparency in food and drink um, is probably, I've got two, I'm going to talk about the topic of transparency, just that if it's a vegan product, what what's in it? Um, and consume at the moment this is in the short term we're going to have to get to a point where consumers know if it's a dirty vegan or filthy vegan trend like is it is it vegan comfort food um, or actually is this trying to be healthier and better for me um, and that does vegan equal health and um, I think that that's going to come in the short term that you know which brands are genuinely good for you and which one are about just giving you a great taste experience um, I think that's that's the first thing and the second thing is that 
we're growing population-wise in this, this planet. Um, we just had Glastonbury and we just saw that uh, Attenborough got on stage and was so thankful that everyone was you know, plastic-free um, at, at Glastonbury Music Festival. It just, you know, the impact that shows like Netflix, Our Planet has had and, and some of these um, um, TV programs teaching consumers about um, the future and what's going to come. At the moment, there's just too many of us and there's going to be more of us on this planet to cope. I mean, this is sort of a bit of a downer, isn't it guys? Sorry. Um, <laughs> but we are getting to a point where we need better balance in our diets, in what we eat, not just for our health, but for um, to, to keep the planet going. And what I'd like to start to see, and we, I think we will start to see from, um, from governments, from brands, from canteens, from restaurants, is this shift towards a more balanced um, dish. That the meat doesn't have to always be the main thing on the plate. That it can be an amazingly cooked aubergine or mushroom. Which is, those are my two favourites, two favourite veggies. Um, I think we're going to get to a point where you know things like school dinners, you're going to sh- see them getting rid of maybe more of the meat that's there and just replacing it with great veg um, or great tasting vegetables. And I think that that's what we've got to start to see is this movement towards better balance for the planet as well as for people's health because we've always talked about balance for health but the planet can't cope otherwise um and it's and it's that bigger question i think that's where this trend is going to eventually go um i don't know if you you agree or disagree i hope so we seem to be we seem to be agreeing on that on that main one i Um, think so (laughs) so Unless you've got anything further to add, I think we're going to finish it there. I, I feel like this topic's not going to go away. Uh, I feel like we're going to end up talking about this one every few months. It's going to come up. It's going to sneak into many of our podcasts and discussions as we've just launched. And it's really exciting. Um, but I think we'll finish it there. So both of you, Sarah, Sam, thank you so much for, for joining me um, on our first vegan podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah thank you. Okay, cool. There's going to be more from from you guys regularly, I'm sure, um, coming in as guests or as hosts or um, and so on. But otherwise, to our listener, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. Please rate us because we've we've joined the, um, the the on all platforms and make sure you give us five star review, preferably. Um, and yeah, you can get them on any pl- pl- platform your podcasts are on. Um, so pl- please spread the word please share and, and we'll probably have another episode next week on, on Mintel's little conversation if you want to know more about Mintel what we are what we do just head over to our website it's mintel.com follow us on social media we're on we're on everything so we're on LinkedIn Instagram Twitter Facebook you probably find our names on, on those as well um, also this is going to be a link to a blog post so you can read all about it um, and you know please join us next time for some more insights from our wonderful and Analysts. Guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.